Good morning, everyone, and welcome to our daily reading conference call on A Course in Miracles, Original Edition. We read from the text of A Course in Miracles, Original Edition, which is published by our dear friends at the Course in Miracles Society. You can access an online copy of the original edition by going to jcim.net, where if you mouse over the link at the top menu for online edition, you will see a drop-down that contains a link to read ACIMOE. On that same drop-down menu, there's also a link to subscribe to an excellent daily email sent to you by the Course in Miracles Society, which contains both the workbook lesson and the text reading for the day. My name is Lemoyne Castle, and this call happens for and with you every weekday morning, Monday through Friday, from about 9.15 to 11 a.m. Eastern Time. Today we're continuing our reading in Chapter 3, Retraining the Mind, with Section 5, Perception versus Knowledge. And at the top of the hour, we'll pause for remembrance of our lesson for the day. Lesson 30 God is in everything I see because God is in my mind. And that will be led again by a steadfast friend. Okay. Well, um, I'll turn to you, Laurie, and ask would you uh, share with us the opening you selected for today? I'd love to, Lemoyne. Um, I'd love to. Speaking of this inner altar, that's a little poem from Rumi. Um, so beautiful for the day. It goes like this. When I run after what I think I want, my days are a furnace of stress and anxiety. If I sit in my own place of patience, what I need flows to me and without pain. From this I understand that what I want also wants me, is looking for me and attracting me. There is a great secret here for anyone who can grasp it. God is in everything I see because God is in my mind. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank so you. much, Lori. Thank you so much. Love Rumi. Yeah. Thank you. Oh, love it. Thank you. Thank you, Lori. Yeah, what was... Thank you. What was the name of that poem? Uh, Diana, like so many of uh, Rumi's uh, works, it does not have a title. Oh, it, it didn't uh, most have likely, Yeah, most likely it's a stanza of one of his very okay. long ones. But uh, it was beautiful. Thank you. You're very welcome. Yeah, thank you, Laurie. And I misspoke earlier. 
and you let me select that one out of your wealth of poems. Thank you. Yes, you, um, yes, you did. <laughs> um, so many good options there. Okay. Uh, let me just go through the list. What I have here with us in reading today, I have Lori, Fran, Donna, Robin Marie, Karen, Jessica, and Lana. She can. And with us in listening, I have Diana. Is there anyone else who's joined the call who would like to say good morning or maybe join the reading list? Morning. Patricia's out there listening, too. Oh, thank you, Robin Marie. Yeah, I did not write down Patricia. And welcome, Kristen, on your rounds. Hmm. Okay, doesn't quite add up, but I think Lana may have gotten her visitor. So, okay. <clears throat> I'll go ahead and get us started with Chapter 3, Retraining the Mind. Perception versus Knowledge. We have been emphasizing perception and have said very little about cognition as yet because you are confused about the difference between them. The reason we have dealt so little with cognition is because you must get your perception straightened out before you can know anything. To know is to be certain. Uncertainty merely means that you do not know. Knowledge is power because it is certain, and certainty is strength. Perception is merely temporary. It is an attribute of the space-time belief and is therefore subject to fear or love. Misperceptions produce fear, and true perceptions produce love. Neither produces certainty because all perception varies. That is why it is not knowledge. And Lori. Uh, Chapter 3, Retraining the Mind, Section 5, Perception versus Knowledge. We have been emphasizing perception and have said very little about cognition as yet because you are confused about the difference between them. The reason we have dealt so little with cognition is because you must get your perception straightened out before you can know anything. To know is to be certain. Uncertainty means that you do not know. Knowledge is power because it is certain, and certainty is strength. Perception is merely temporary. It is an attribute of the space-time belief, and is therefore subject to fear or love. 
Misperceptions produce fear, and true perceptions produce love. Neither produces certainty, because all perception varies. That is why it is not knowledge. 31. True perception is the basis for knowledge. I think there's one unmuted line. There we go. Uh, True perception is the basis for knowledge, but knowing is the affirmation of truth. All your difficulties ultimately stem from the fact that you do not recognize or know yourselves, each other, or God. To recognize means to, quote-unquote, know again, implying that you knew before. You can see in many ways, because perception involves different interpretations, and this means that it is not whole. The miracle is a way of perceiving, not of knowing. It is the right answer to a question, and you do not ask questions at all when you know. Thank you, Lori. And Fran? 31. True perception is the basis for knowledge, but knowing is the affirmation of truth. All your difficulties ultimately stem from the fact that you do not recognize or know yourselves, each other, or God. To recognize means to, quote-unquote, know again, implying that you knew before. You can see in many ways because perception involves different interpretations, and this means that it is not whole. The miracle is a way of perceiving, not of knowing. It is the right answer to a question, and you do not ask questions at all when you know. 32. Questioning illusions is the first step in undoing them. The miracle, or the quote-unquote right answer, corrects them. Since perceptions change, Their dependence on time is obvious. They are subject to transitory states, and this necessarily implies variability. How you perceive at a given time determines what you do. An action must occur in time. Knowledge is timeless because certainty is not questionable. You know when you have ceased to ask questions. Thank you, Fran. And Donna. 32. Questioning illusions is the first step in undoing them. The miracle, or the right answer, corrects them. Since perceptions change, their dependence on time is obvious. They are subject to transitory states, and this necessarily implies variability. How you perceive at any given time determines what you do, and action must occur in time. Knowledge is timeless, because certainty is not questionable. You know when you have ceased to ask questions. 33. The questioning mind perceives itself in time and therefore looks to future answers. The questioning mind is closed because it believes the future and present will be the same. 
This establishes an unchanged state or stasis. It is usually an attempt to counteract an underlying fear that the future will be worse than the present. And this fear inhibits the tendency to question at all. Thank you, Donna and Robin Murray. 33. The questioning mind perceives itself in time and therefore looks for future answers. The unquestioning mind is closed because it believes the future and present will be the same. This establishes an unchanged state or stasis. It is usually an attempt to counteract an underlying fear that the future will be worse than the present, and this fear inhibits the tendency to question at all. 34. Visions are the natural perception of the spiritual eye, but they are still corrections. The spiritual eye is symbolic and therefore not a device for knowing. It is, however, a means of right perception, which brings it into the proper domain of the miracle. Properly speaking, quote, a vision of God, unquote, is a miracle rather than a revelation. The fact that perception is involved at all removes the experience from the realm of knowledge. That is why visions do not last. Thank you, Robin Murray and Karen. 34. Visions are the natural perception of the spiritual eye, but they are still corrections. The spiritual eye is symbolic and therefore not a device for knowing. It is, however, a means of right perception, which brings it into the proper domain of the miracle. Properly speaking, quote, a vision of God, unquote, is a miracle rather than a revelation. The fact that perception is involved at all removes the experience from the realm of knowledge. That is why visions do not last. 35. The Bible instructs you to, quote, know yourself, unquote, or be certain. Certainty is always of God. When you love someone, you have perceived him as he is. And this makes it possible for you to know him. However, it is not until you recognize him that you can know him. While you ask questions about God, you are clearly implying that you do not know him. Certainty does not require action. When you say that you are acting on the basis of knowledge, you are really confusing perception and cognition. Knowledge brings the mental strength for creative thinking, but not for right doing. Perception, miracles, and doing are closely related. Knowledge is the result of revelation and induces only thought. Perception involves the body, even in its most spiritualized form. Knowledge comes from the altar within and is timeless because it is certain. To perceive the truth 
is not the same as knowing it. Thank you, Karen. And Jessica. Thank you. Um, 35. The Bible instructs you to, quote, know yourself or be certain. Certainty is always of God. When you love someone, you have perceived him as he is, and this makes it possible for you to know him. However, it is not until you recognize him that you can know him. While you ask questions about God, you are clearly implying that you do not know him. Certainty does not require action. When you say that you are acting on the basis of knowledge, you are really confusing perception and cognition. Knowledge brings the mental strength for creative thinking, but not for doing, not for right doing. Perception, miracles, and doing are closely related. Knowledge is the result of revelation and induces only thought. Perception involves the body, even in its most spiritualized form. Knowledge must uh, comes from the altar within and is timeless because it is certain. To perceive the truth is not the same as knowing it. If you attack error in one another, you will hurt yourself. You cannot recognize each other when you attack. Attack is always made on a stranger. You are making him a stranger by misperceiving him so that you cannot know him. It is because you have made him a stranger that you are afraid of him. Perceive him correctly so that you can know him. Right perception is necessary before God can, I'm sorry, right perception is necessary before God can communicate directly to his own altars, which he has established in his son. There, there he can communicate his certainty <clears throat> and his knowledge will bring peace without question. Thank you, Jessica and Lana. Okay. 36. If you attack error in one another, you will hurt yourself. You cannot recognize each other when you attack. Attack is always made on a stranger. You are making him a stranger by misperceiving him so that you cannot know him. It is because you have made him a stranger that you are afraid of him. Perceive him correctly so that you can know him. Right perception is necessary before God can communicate directly to his own altars which he has established in his sons. There, he can communicate his certainty, and his knowledge will bring peace without 
question. 37. God is not a stranger to his sons, and his sons are not strangers to each other. Knowledge preceded both perception and time and will ultimately replace them. That is the real meaning of the biblical description of God as, in quotes, Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, close quotes. It also explains the quotation, in quotes, before Abraham was I am, close quotes. Perception can and must be stabilized, but knowledge is stable. In quotation, fear God and keep his commandments should read, in quotes, know God and accept his certainty. There are no strangers in his creation. To create as he created You can create only what you know and accept as yours. God knows his children with perfect certainty. He created them by knowing them. He recognized them perfectly. When they do not recognize each other, they do not recognize him. Lovely. Thank you, Lana. And one second here. Um, is there a new reader then for to conclude with thirty-seven? I'll I'll jump in. I'm my I've got my beautiful coffee. <laughs> okay, thirty-seven. God is not a stranger to His sons. And his sons are not strangers to each other. Knowledge precedes both perception and time and will ultimately replace them. That is the real meaning of the biblical description of God and, quote, Alpha and Omega, comma, the beginning and the end, unquote. It also explains the quotation, quote, before Adam was I am, unquote. Perception can and must be stabilized, but knowledge is stable. Quote, fear of God and keep his commandments, unquote, should be read, quote, God, know God and accept his certainty, unquote. There are no strangers in his creation. To each as he created you can create only what you know and accept as yours. God knows his children with perfect certainty. He created them by knowing them. He recognized them perfectly. When you do not recognize each other, they do not recognize him. Thank you. Well, thank you, Diana. And I'll press the straight button one second. Okay. Um, 
Well, let me ask, uh, is there anyone who doesn't want to read this again? We can read it again one at a one at a time. Uh, I one second. paragraph. Yes. Okay. Um, I won't be able to. This is Jessica. I won't be able to read it again. Okay. All right. Anyone else who can't read again? All right. Well, we'll do it in reverse order. So it's uh, Diana, Lana, Karen, Robin, Marie, Donna, Fran, and then Lori. So, Diana, if you would start us off again with the section title and the first paragraph. Just the first Hi. Would you mind telling me which paragraph I'm going to read because I put a little star next to it so that I'm ready. Okay. Thanks. Okay. (laughs) Um, Okay. So that you don't have to read the same paragraph, let's, let's go with 32. For you, Robin Murray. There we go. You'll read third. Thank you. Okay, Diana. Oh, okay. Uh, Five. Perception versus knowledge. 30. We have been emphasizing perception and have said very little about cognition as yet because you are confused about the difference between them. The reason we have dealt so little with cognition is because you must get your perception straightened out before you can know anything. To know is to be certain. Uncertainty merely means that you do not know. Knowledge is power because it is certain, and certainty is strength. Perception is merely temporarily. It is an attribute of the space-time belief and is therefore subject to fear or love. Misperception produces fear, and true perception produces love. Neither produces certainty because all perceptions vary. That is why it is not knowledge. Okay, at 31. True, excuse me, true perception is the basis for knowledge, but knowing is the affirmation of truth. All your difficulties ultimately stem from the fact that you do not recognize or know yourself, each other, or God. And read that sentence again. All your difficulties ultimately stem from the fact that you do not recognize or know yourself, each other, or God. To recognize means to, in quotes, know again, implying that you knew before. You can see in many ways because perception involves different interpretations, and this means that it is not whole. 
the miracle is a way of perceiving, not of knowing. It is the right answer to a question, and you do not ask questions at all when you know. Thirty-two. Questioning illusions is the first step in undoing them. The miracle, or the, quote, right answer, unquote, corrects them. Since perceptions change, their dependence on time is obvious. They are subject to transitory states. And this, is necess- and this necessarily implies variability. How you perceive at any given time determines what you do, and action must occur in time. Knowledge is timeless because certainty is not questionable. You know when you have ceased to ask questions. The questioning mind perceives itself in time and therefore looks for future answers. The unquestioning mind is closed because it believes the future and present will be the same. This establishes an unchanged state or stasis. It is usually an attempt to counteract an underlying fear that the future will be worse than the present, and this fear inhibits the tendency to question at all. Thank you all. And Donna. Sorry. Could you read 34, Donna? Yeah, sorry. 34. Visions are the natural perception of the spiritual eye, but they are still corrections. The spiritual eye is symbolic and therefore not a device for knowing. It is, however, a means of right perception, which brings it into the proper domain of the miracle. Properly speaking, quote, a vision of God, end quote, is a miracle rather than a revelation. The fact that perception is involved at all removes the experience from the realm of knowledge. That is why visions do not last. The Bible instructs you to quote-unquote know yourself or be certain. Certainty is always of God. When you love someone, you have perceived him as he is, and this makes it possible for you to know him. However, it is not until you recognize him that you can know him. While you ask questions about God, you are clearly implying that you do not know him. Certainty does not require action. When you say that you are acting on the basis of knowledge, you are really confusing perception and cognition. Knowledge brings the mental strength for creative thinking, but not for right doing. Perception miracles, and doing are closely related. Knowledge is the result of revelation and induces only thought. Perception involves the body, even in its most spiritualized form. 
Knowledge comes from the altar within and is timeless because it is certain. To perceive the truth is not the same as knowing it. Thirty-six. If you attack error in one another, you will hurt yourself. You cannot recognize each other when you attack. Attack is always made on a stranger. You are making him a stranger by misperceiving him so that you cannot know him. It is because you have made him a stranger that you are afraid of him. Perceive him correctly so that you can know him. Right perception is necessary before God can communicate directly to his own altars, which he has established in his sons. There, he can communicate his certainty, and his knowledge will bring peace without question. Thank you, Lori. And is there a new reader who'd like to conclude with 37? New reader for 37? Okay. I'll go. God is not a stranger to his sons, and his sons are not strangers to each other. Knowledge preceded both perception and time and will ultimately replace them. That is the real meaning of the biblical description of God as Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. <clears throat> it also explains the quotation, quote, before Abraham was, I am, unquote. Perception can and must be stabilized, but knowledge is stable. Fear God and keep his commandments should read, know God and accept his certainty. There are no strangers in his creation. To create as he created, you can create only what you know and accept as yours. God knows his children with perfect certainty. He created them by knowing them. He recognized them perfectly. When they do not recognize each other, they do not recognize him. And, yeah, we have a few minutes before the top of the hour uh, for any sharing, a quick share, or perhaps a question we can take up after the lesson. <laughs> so, floor's open.
Good morning, Karen. Um, just a little recap. <clears throat> Knowledge is certainty. Perception is variable. Um, to be in right-mindedness, perception is aligned to the Holy Spirit vision and the truth. Um, creation or miscreation are the result of God's power flowing through our minds, depending on which alignment we have. In the falsehood of the ego, this crazy world, it's really an illusion because the power of God is flowing through the falsehood, through the ego mind. Knowledge will, will come when we're stabilized, but we don't have that stability until um, we don't vacillate between falsehood and truth. When we're firmly established in truth and we cease to vacillate, we come into knowledge. Knowledge is um, really recognition because when we were created, there was only one state. There was no duality. There was only truth. And then we devolved into the falsehood. And that's why it's um, recognition in, in the sense that we, we return to our true-mindedness. Um, when we're in our right minds, we know our brothers, we know God, and we know ourselves. And the Course in Miracles, you know, the whole thing boils down to, um, who am I? Who am I? Did I create myself? Do I define myself? Or am I a creation of the divine? In which case, I just have to accept it. I have to believe it. I have to give my pa- the power of my creative mind back to truth because it's been lost in believing in falsehood and it's been miscreating in fear and guilt and judgment. Coming back into the truth, coming back into um, a humility of God creating me instead of feeling so arrogant that I created myself. You know, um, yesterday, my daughter is, is in crisis again, which, of course, I won't go into a big drama. And in her crisis state, uh, she was very, very vicious. And, and really, I just, I just um, hung up the phone and decided to tell her I love her. And that's it, you know, I'm not just, I'm not going to join in false empathy. And um, it really was very disturbing. I can't even begin to tell you. And I had to go back to myself. I had to go back and say, I belong to God. I belong to God. Who am I? I am a child of God. I am still as God created me. I had to work with it and I had to deny all the falsehood. And only then I could hear what God wanted me to do next and how to address the situation. And it, came, it comes from that stillness, that place that Lori talk, talked about in the opening prayer yesterday morning about the stillness. Just go back to the stillness. Go back to the stillness. 
go back to the peace of God. Because only there I can hear the guidance. I can't hear it in the midst of all the uh, egos, gnashing of teeth and wailing and insanity. Um, I know I've over-talked. I'm complete. Thank you. That's beautiful, Karen. Just just a great lesson in listening. That was really wonderful, Karen. Thank you. It was, oh, yeah, Karen, it's a good lesson in remembering. You just, uh, Did I just miss the, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, you guys, excuse me. Did I just miss the, the, um, the lesson yet today, or isn't it ready No, no, Ida. We're about to go there. Okay, thanks. I'm complete. Love you, Karen. Yeah, I mean, that was, that was very nice, Karen. Take us from the stillness that was back to it. <laughs> through, the, through the world of very specific demanding perception back to stillness. Thank you, Karen. And, and so we turn, I turn to you now, Brian, and ask everyone to give your attention to Brian as she leads us in the lesson for the day. Lesson 30, God is in everything I see because God is in my mind. Over to you, Brian. Thank you. Hi, everybody. We are still in the first part of the workbook. And today's lesson is Lesson 30, God is in everything I see because God is in my mind. So I shall read from the lesson, read the, read the lesson, and then we'll go and do our practice. Okay, let me see. God is in everything I see because God is in my mind. The idea for today is the springboard for vision. From this idea will the world open up before you and you will look upon it and see in it what you have never seen before. Nor will what you saw before be even faintly visible to you. Today we are trying to use the new kind of projection. We are not attempting to get rid of what we do not like by seeing it outside. Instead, We are trying to see in the world what is in our minds and what we want to recognize is there. Thus, we are trying to join with what we see rather than keeping it apart from us. That is the fundamental difference between vision and the way you see. Today's idea should be applied as often as possible throughout the day. Whenever you have a moment or so, repeat it to yourself slowly looking about you and trying to realize that the idea applies to everything you do see now or could see now if it were within the range of your sight. Real vision is not limited to concepts such as quote-unquote near and quote-unquote far. To help you begin to get used to this idea, try to think of things beyond your present range as well as those you can actually see as you apply today's idea. Real vision is not only unlimited by space and distance, but it does not depend on the body's eyes at all. 
The mind is its only source. To aid in helping you to become more accustomed to this idea as well, devote several practice periods to applying today's idea with your eyes closed, using whatever subject come to mind and looking within rather than without. Today's idea applies equally to both. Lesson 30, God is in everything I see because God is in my mind. Five minutes.
Now I'll read the paragraph from the review of Lesson 30. God is in everything I see because God is in my mind, in my own mind, behind all my insane thoughts of separation and attack is the knowledge that all is one forever. I have not lost the knowledge of who I am because I have forgotten it. It has been kept for me in the mind of God who has not left his thoughts and I who am among them am one with them and one with him. Lesson 30. God is in everything I see because God is in my mind. Amen. Thank you, Fran. Thank you, Fran. That was lovely. Thank you, Fran. Thank you, Fran. This is Donna. While I was um, meditating in our silence, I recalled a happening that happened. And I thought, oh, this fits the lesson. It's about what's inside, what's outside, and, and, the, and the difference between vision and seeing. So I, <clears throat> coming home from church, I stopped at a Guilford Big Y, like, like everybody knows what that is, uh, grocery store to pick up something. And I'm standing in line, and here's this young boy, no more than, well, he's must, probably 16 years old since he's working. He's standing there. I don't pay any attention to him. All of a sudden, his face lights up. His eyes light up, and he smiles at me. And I think... What what is what is he smiling at me for? And I looked at his name tag. And then he came around the cashier, a young girl, uh, African American young girl, and he was right right next to her and he said very quietly, I like your shirt. And she smiled so big. And then I said, I like your name. And she really, she laughed. His name was Gabe. So then I looked down and realized I had this wonderful sweatshirt on, my massage therapist gave me, and it's the fruit of the spirit. So we never, if we're not paying attention, we never know when we're looking out and actually seeing God for real. I am complete. Thanks. Oh, that's beautiful. Thank you, Donna. Thank you, Donna. That was beautiful. That was beautiful. Thank you, Donna. Thank you, Donna. Yes, thank you. It's those simple moments that are so full.
Good morning. This is Wendy. I, Don, I, this morning I shared a quote from Joel Goldsmith's Practicing the Present, and his point was, the good that, don't look to another human for good, all good that it comes from God, but it comes through other people. So when somebody is, you know, reflects that love back to you, uh, one one knows, oh, this is God. It, God is coming through these people, but it is a love note from God, whatever the interaction is. Thanks for sharing that. It was beautiful. I'm complete. Thank you for sharing that. Beautiful expression. Yeah. A love note from God. Thanks, Wendy. You know, this is Diana. I just wanted to share that even, I don't know who any of you people are. I don't. I'm imagining I got to see Lori's picture and, and I went, oh, that's interesting. That's not how I pictured her, you know. And, but what I do feel, I can also give. If I'm feeling like I did with Karen, empathy and concern, I flooded her with love and compassion from what I want her to have and feel. That's being in Christ's moment. That is a miracle. To get outside of yourself and look and, and feel and be in that moment with your brother. And... Um, it was just an experience I had. I had tears when she was talking. And I was like, God, just seeing her with God, seeing her, her daughter and her you know, in the, the um, golden key, which is what I do over my children, and trying to transport healing light over. I think we can do that as brothers and sisters in Christ, and I think that's what we're called to do. I'm complete. Uh, I agree with you there. Thank you, Diana. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, Diana. Sorry, I was trying to get my phone out. Thank you so much for your love and your caring and your extension of the divine. Um, real quick comment. Last night, uh, I listened to Reverend Pam's call on the ladder of prayer, which actually I don't even know where it comes from, but it was talking about the bottom of the ladder of prayer, which is when we're praying from our ego minds, you know, and we're in our fears and we're identified with the projections that we're putting out into the world. And then it was talking about as you go up the ladder of prayer, the higher you go, the more pure you're your mind is. Um, anyway, I could be wrong because this was what I took away from it. It wasn't necessarily this is what was um, interpreted on the call. But um, God is in everything I see because God is in my mind. When we're at the higher levels of, of the ladder of prayer, we're so one with our God self, our Christ mind. That everything we look on, and, and I'm not saying I'm there now, but I certainly know other people who are. Um, everything people look on, when they have a thought of something, they envelop it with the Christ light. 
that's the mind of God. You know, it's not like you have to sit there and say a prayer anymore. You don't sit there and say a prayer because you are a prayer. Everything you think upon, everything you turn your attention to, everything you hold in your heart or your, you know, it's all a prayer because your whole life is a prayer. Your extension is prayer. God is in everything I see because God is in my mind. And when we're in that place where we're, as opposed to perception, we're in knowledge, which is in oneness with truth, then we're just ever, ever extending. And the, the, the more we hold ourselves in that state, the more we stay in that state, that empty stillness that just extends the truth, um, the faster it extends. That's why the realized masters, I mean, their auras go out into infinity, you know. Us, we can start with where we, wherever we are now, which is none of our business to judge, but that's, you know, I'm complete. Thank you. Yes. That was just really pretty spot on, Karen. Thank you very much. Thank you, Karen. Karen. Well, thank you for letting me share it. I mean, I I formulated and studied the the reading after the call, so I didn't get to talk about it last night, so thank you. Well, thank you, Karen. I think it's it's perfect for what this lesson invites us to... uh, that state of constant prayer, which is um, you know, can be described as reverence or devotion. And it is I believe that Donna may know, but you know, there's I believe in the Bible there's a um, there is the injunction to pray constantly, and that's not <clears throat> that's not um, uh, an instruction to beg or or uh, or focus on something missing. I don't believe it's more like what the course of love says when. It says in the dialogue, um, we have redefined the miracle as the act of continual prayer that sustains Christ's consciousness. And that that is is what this whole thing is all about. (laughs) So, yeah, the pivotal lesson. Thank you. Lamont, can you repeat that sentence that you just said, please? Yeah, it's from uh, the sixth chapter in the Dialogues of A Course of Love, where he says, uh, we have redefined the miracle as the act of continual prayer, which contains, or maybe it's continuous, anyway, um, constant prayer that sustains Christ's consciousness. 
Thank you. That was beautiful. Thank you. Thank you, Lamorne. Um, yeah, I mean, it's like, <laughs> given given my history, at least for me, I can see the miracle as miracle-mindedness, and that's what this, uh, I think this lesson is is calling us to. And, in, and indeed, that would be a restoration of identity with uh, the divine. Anyway, I'm complete. Thank you. Thank you. Yes, thank you. Beautifully said. Thank you. Uh, Good morning, everyone. This is Lori. And... um, I want to share something that um, that Jesus shared with me a number of years ago back um, no it doesn't matter um, in relation to this section you know he, he's laying out uh, some information uh, how I read this and and uh, more like um, clarification of terms so that we're on the same wavelength and in that regard, um, <clears throat> I want to begin by saying the separation was not a loss of perfection, but a failure in communication. And from that perspective, um, he's, he's helping us understand about this communication, how my mind is really... Um, a receiving station, if you will. Mind I share with with God is a receiving station, and um, and and that year, you know, I was looking at this and I asked uh, that He help me understand uh, what is the language that we're that we're talking about. Why is it important that I discriminate these words from each other, um, and and how Will that help my understanding? And and the answer he gave me was uh, that my part is only to keep an open place. Only keep an open place in your mind and heart for both the question and the answer. And it was so significant in regard to this clarification of terms that I wrote it down um, so I could log it <laughs> as as a starting point for this section keep an open place for both the question and the answer and when I think about that this year um, I'm reminded uh, of a, another quote where he says humility humility is a lesson for the ego but not the soul Why is that true? Because, he says, the soul knows, loves, and creates. Those are unequivocal uh, to the soul. 
the soul knows, the soul loves, and the soul creates. And on this journey to remembering my soul, the knowledge of its inherent in the soul, I say my, but I don't mean my personally, I mean um, the self we share soul. Um, in remembering that knowledge, um, it's important that I just simply keep that open place. You can call that open place prayer if you like. Um, that that word works um, for me, um, but not in the ordinary sense of asking for something. You know, ego, of course, asks for things or something, but real. Um, prayer I think as he's talking about it is a prayer for experience I think that's a quote too um, because I don't know something until I have a direct unmediated by thought experience of it it's as if it's delivered to my mind Linus see I love it when Linus says it's just a thought I didn't think well yeah I never thought that thought it's delivered to my mind and by keeping an open place for both the question and the answer, it's as if I'm stepping back. Uh, I, as a uh, person, I'm, I'm just stepping back, you know. And in the stepping back, a marvelous thing happens. And, and uh, it's as if, and sometimes it's as if words are delivered to me. Um, to say sometimes it's uh, a thought sometimes it's um, a word just one single word that that for the day um, sheds its light on everything that comes to me um, but it's an open place you see where I step back and um, and why is that important it's important because um, only the ego strives only ego strives when I let my mind be a receiving station um, and a broadcasting station uh, in a real sense I'm talking in a real sense here um, stuff happens like I give the miracles I have received um, yeah, I mean, that's where everything uh, that turns into a gift uh, happens. And uh, all that I'm asked to do is keep an open place. Three things. Keep an open place in my heart and mind for both the question and the answer. Intend for a single purpose of healing and make sure uh, that I'm not entertaining fear those three things and with those three things I'll automatically slip into my right mind uh, I'll automatically um, see how miracles happen without any intervention in the doing sort of say sense unless unless specifically directed 
Well, he said, this world is lit by miracles. And the only problem I ever have with that is that my attention or my awareness is tracking somewhere else. <laughs> you know, I'm just not paying attention because I'm daydreaming. Uh, and when I'm daydreaming, uh, I'm not in my open place. And, and there's nothing wrong with daydreaming, okay? That's, it's not a bad thing to daydream at all. Um, but when I'm with someone or in a setting like this or I'm thinking of someone specifically or I'm thinking of the sonship in general, that's not a time for daydreaming. That's where God moves, you know? Um, my part is just so simple. And, and uh, you know, I can... I can just tell you wonderful things about um, leaving that place open, you know. Uh, call it prayer, you know, but um, it's, yeah, I'm back to the beginning. It's not a prayer to entreat. Devotion is a good word um, for that open place. Sometimes I think of it as sitting by the fire uh, and watching uh, for that um, just watching for heaven. <laughs> um, and I don't mean to sound all mystical about it, um, because it's a real place, this open place. It's a real, um, it's a real intimate and quiet and beautiful place um, where the thoughts, uh, I think with God, they don't even have words, uh, come. And, because of that, it's as if um, it's as if the entire day, some days, turns into a meditation. You know, I mean, I'm not doing, I'm really not thinking. I'm in the open place, and then something comes into my awareness, and I'm in a position where all I can think is, "Oh God, you know, I'm so grateful. This is in my awareness, and I bless it." You know. Other times, uh, there's something specific. Other times, um, you know, there's real specific stuff. Sometimes, uh, sometimes I'm given just a word to share, and that word uh, lights itself up in a way. And later on, that turns into something that that person will come back to me uh, weeks and weeks and weeks later and say, that word, you know, that what you gave me that day turned into uh, something wonderful about that word, you know. And the point I'm trying to make is if I keep an open place for both the question and the answer, um, that's enough room for God to move. And um, and I can realize that the soul knows, loves, and creates and it's almost like a spectator sport, and uh, and I'm complete. Oh, thank you so much, Lori. Thank you. Yeah, thank you, Lori. Thank you, Lori. That was beautiful and so important.
I just um, was listening to Eckhart Tolle talking about the Course in Miracles, and um, you know he was pointing out the merits and the you know how it aligns, but he kind of ended with, "But it isn't still in stillness and silence," and uh, I, I. Hearing that, I started to feel like if I could, in a meditation, just keep my mind blank, that would give God the room to to, fill in any time my mind wasn't going. God would have a chance to get in. And I felt like that's kind of what you were saying about that leave a little space there for God to fill it. Thanks. That complete. That was beautiful, Wendy. Yeah. Thank you, Len. I think that's what he means when he... Um, it's in the Bible. He says, the Holy Spirit prays in you without ceasing. You know, and and... Later on, it actually says the Holy Spirit is both God and you. Uh, The Holy Spirit is all your knowledge saved for you. Um, And and this person uh, that I thought I was is really, um, well, if you want to know the truth, the person I thought I was was a figment of my imagination, uh, puffed up and pretty important and... (laughs) knew a lot of stuff and and all like that. Um, but that's, you know, everybody makes one of those and there's nothing wrong with that. It's an expectation of this place. Um, but that's, uh, that's not who, you know, we really are. Um, we're really, um, you know, it, Christ seems like a really big reach, you know, to me and, and I can't say that I can't claim that, you know, this person I think I am. Um, but the open place is where uh, is where he lives. And um, and that's pretty pretty cool. So anyway, <laughs> I'm complete again. And you know, the other thing I want to say is there's a real tendency uh, for one during the Course of Miracles to mark one's place on some kind of trajectory <clears throat> um, and and I don't think that's um, well I don't think that that's helpful number one because then you're always uh, looking at this person you think you are measuring your distance from here to there so it's, it's not helpful to do that and if I'm uh, if I'm <laughs> measuring uh, my progress along some imagined line um, who's doing that measuring what's the line and where's the room for truth in that <clears throat> and um, and third um, if I'm measuring myself along some trajectory it's as if um, I'm constantly judging myself and what happens when I judge anything you know is uh, that falling short thing and so it's not helpful and um, 
that's kind of why I started where I did when he lays out terms he's not doing that in order that I might measure where I'm at on some line he's doing that in a way for me to help <clears throat> help me understand the language he's talking about you know like the word miracle I, I you know we think of miracle as <clears throat> something happened it's marvelous we can see its effects and and all like that but um, miracle actually is just an exchange of love and every single exchange of love is a miracle it's not um, it's not uh, I mean some miracles are really really spectacular but it's not a doing so much as change and seeing um, it's the removal of it's a correction it's the removal of something that wasn't there in the first place and oh now I see like that um, so these definitions are uh, so that we can talk the same language I think as much as anything now I think I'm done I'm complete thanks Lori oh, thank you Lori This is Donna. Lori, and you're speaking both and both of your shares. <clears throat> what I began to see was I tried to compare what you are relating is your um, essence, so to speak. And um, I was thinking, okay, how how do I see how do I see how do I see myself? in some context and I realized that I not visually seen I mean uh, spiritually seen that with uh, apparently the content you are but being is what I I have I have come to recognize being and my beingness in that being and that became that was a struggle because I moved into a place I thought was smoke free and it wasn't and for two about two years I was enraged constantly about my neighbors smoking and working very hard to make my life miserable because when you think about something you draw more of it to you and if you do that with hostility it really comes <laughs> But eventually I got the victory and in that victory I began to see everyone as Christ and a part of my body and the gift real gift of that was their life did get better but I became aware that I was now being my mind was not always full of what stuff is going on out there and I was just being and and then I find when I travel I'm out a lot and I'm in a line someplace or I'm waiting somewhere I'm not looking around anymore and thinking what's this one doing what's that one I'm just being and then what I've learned about that being is I do have events happening and I just shared one about that magnificent event with those two children and both of them I'm sure go to church or someplace and I'm sure they shared that event at their 
church. But I am standing in a post office, and somehow uh, I'm always mentioning God. God is my life. So, um, And I got into this wonderful dialogue with this lady who was telling me she's 90 years old. And we began to talk about how about Jesus returning. I mean, all she had to do was imply, and I was <laughs> gone because I believe we, I will be standing here when he comes. And I said, oh, we're going to be here when he comes. She said, well, he's already here. I said, yes, that's right. But he's also going to come for his elect. So it was so magnificent. And I said, and, and she told me she was 90 again. And I said, well, you're going to be like Moses and live to 120 or until Jesus returns to us. Because I said, I'm 81 and I intend to be standing here. And then I shared with them, uh, Lori, I think you told us about this gentleman who has uh, predicted that this is going to happen in uh, 2033, which made me a happy camper. So to me, we do attain a place. And I live by myself. I don't talk to anybody. If I'm not talking to the phone or to a grocery clerk, I have no community of people. So uh, it's easy for me to just be. I mean, I can be looking at the ceiling and just being. But thank you, Lori, because you helped me clarify um, my own self. I am complete. Well, thanks, uh, Donna. <clears throat> Very awesome, Donna. Why, <clears throat> Course in Love has a whole chapter on that, chapter 27. That's um, <laughs> you just spoke right out of it. So thank you. Complete. Good morning, guys. It's Jude. I have um, to thank you all for being here, and thank you, Lori and Lemoyne. And just hearing um, you read for me this morning, I really appreciate it. I I hear it in a new and, and fresh way every time when I'm merely quiet and listening with an open mind, as if I never heard it before. And then I come to a sense of knowing it, a sense of understanding it, a sense of being it, and um, understanding what the Course is trying to teach us, teach us who we are, who am I, what am I, how can I live without suffering, <laughs> what is it that's aware of perceptions of a, of a girl who lives in a body, who is aware of her thoughts? Who is it that is aware that she's aware of this awareness? And, you know, really stepping back and asking these core vital beliefs, core beliefs questions about who and what and what I am who, what, where, and what I am, and what is reality, according to what the Course is trying, trying as best as 
capital reality can be put into words because, you know, like Lori, you expressed, you know, that it's the land of not, it's a a non-vocal experience. There's no words, there's no measure, there's nothing to grasp, there's nothing to hold on to, there's nothing. I mean, it, it, it appears as nothing because that's the way the limited mind can think of it. It's the absence of something, and that's the way we speak of stillness, is the absence of sound. But what is sound? What is a thought? I mean, these are we use these words every day in, in reading and practicing our lessons, but do we really inquire, the self-inquiry, what is a thought? To sit and think, what is this thought I'm thinking? Where is it coming from? Who is it that's thinking it? What does this thought mean? Does it have any meaning? The lessons try and get us to do this. But do we really do it? Do we really do the lessons and and consider what the questions are that the, the lessons are trying to to get us to ask ourselves? <laughs> what is a thought? Where is a thought? Where is mind? Where is consciousness? You know, it's everywhere. That's what the Course is teaching me, that everything I see is in my mind. My mind is a part of God's mind, and everything else is in God's mind, that it's all consciousness. Everything that is perceivable is in consciousness. But the the way the Course describes and helps us to understand the split mind being... an experience of separation, totally, a totally interpretive, distorted version of of what we call this reality. But what the Course is telling us is not reality at all. It's all interpretation and distortion and judgment inherent in perception, the perception of differences, the perception of time, the perception of space. Here and there, before, now, and later, all these distortions in our thinking that we think are just common, normal thinking, the Course is teaching me, I'm not thinking when I'm thinking like this. I'm in my own imagination of who I think I am. Thank you, Lori. I'm stealing your phrase. I'm a figment of my own imagination. And the Course is very clear when it uses these words that thought itself is a fragment, a piece and a bit and a part of the totality of oneness, where one is one and all the same and nothing is different. The only way I can understand that is by getting to the point where I understand what the Course is telling me about what, what I think is real that's not. That perception itself is an illusion perception, all that I sense with my body, my body itself, which is the instrument the Course teaches me, validates, which is really invalid, we just read this word validity, what's true and what's false, what's valid and what's not valid. This is an invalid assessment of who I think I am. So I'm not a body. We say and we use these words. 
but is it just a concept, another thought that my mind, my ego is co-opting and saying, oh, I get it. The ego gets it. I got a spiritualized ego now. People talk about spiritual bypassing. This whole reality is spiritual bypassing. <laughs> you have to spiritualize the ego and think you're spiritualizing another part of your ego. It just becomes ridiculous. It's ridiculous to me. I just think the whole thing is laughable because it's understanding the whole thing is a dream. There's no difference between us being asleep and dreaming we're in Paris, um, getting married with the perfect man, than waking up and thinking the same things in what we call the waking state. It's the same, and the Course tells us that. There's no difference between dreaming asleep and dreaming awake. It's all a dream. So I'm, I'm just really laying back and relaxing and, and asking myself some of these core, core beliefs, you know. What's, what is sound? What is sound? And who's hearing these sounds I'm hearing? Who is hearing the sounds I'm hearing? Is it a figment in Judy's imagination of a self that doesn't exist, that thinks she's hearing, thinks she's thinking thoughts about hearing sounds? That's all a figment in her imagination. Judy, who thinks she's thinking thoughts about eating food, that's all in her imagination. When it's all just God doing it, <laughs> it's all God doing all of it. All one big God experiencing God itself. With no differences in, in between anything, no degrees between anything. And that's what the Holy, Holy One relationship is. Without all the boundaries and lines and objects and names and labels. It's just one big love fest. I'm not interested in form and perception anymore. I'm interested in content because that is who and what and where I am. I'm, I'm purely love, just love, observing and seeing through the eyes of God. There's no Jude in between, nothing in between, no interference. And that's the drop. That's when the bottom drops out. That's when the false sense of self drops out. When you really recognize, when, when I really recognized there, there wasn't anything to it. The way the Course makes me, helps me, teaches me, assures me that this way of seeing myself is the cause of my suffering. <laughs> I'm the one making myself suffer. And, you know, by environmental pollution, everybody in the world around me, too. I went to the grocery store, and I'll finish with this. I go to the grocery store just for entertainment, you know, like, because I can't carry heavy bags, and I can't walk very well. I go, and I walk slow, and I buy one or two things, but I walk up and down every aisle, and I always seem to run it to the same wonderful people. I met a lady yesterday. And she stopped, and it was early in the morning, and she said, isn't this a wonderful time to come to the store? It's so quiet. And I said, I just, I lit up like a Christmas tree, and I said, I love the quiet. I love the stillness. And she said, you're, she 
stepped back and she like put her hand up to her face and she said, your eyes are so intense. <laughs> and I started to laugh. And she said, there's a great awakening happening, you know. She just said that right out of the blue, a lady in the grocery store. And I said, yeah, my friends call it, we call it the celestial speed up. And she said, isn't time going really fast now? Like we flipped the page, I flipped the pages in the calendar. Like where'd, Mon- where'd Monday to Friday go? Where did, ju- where did January go? January's gone. 2000, 2024, where did 2020 go? 2015 go? You know, this whole celestial speeding up. Are we really paying attention? <laughs> and then I, I, I see this other gentleman who's just another real high beam, high beam. And um, his father was a Baptist. And I met this guy like maybe five times in the grocery store. I know, I know a whole lot about him. And he's just from stopping for two minutes to speak to each other in the grocery store. And I think, you know, the last, last two weeks I've met two really absolutely wonderful God kids. And um, just to take the time in the grocery store and look someone in the eye and stop for a minute and smile and say with a wink and a nod to the God in them and say, good morning to you. And from my heart of hearts, I really love you because I know you are me. And there is no other. There's only one. Full of joy today, kids. I hope you have a joyful day. It's our natural state, our natural factory setting. Don't choose to be a other wise. (laughs) It's not so wise. Thank you. I'm complete. Oh, Judy, thank you so much. I have yeah, to thank you. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> I have those uh, transcendental encounters in the grocery store, too. <laughs> yeah, God meeting God, but disguised as strangers. It's beautiful. Thanks. I love it. I'm going to the grocery store today. Definitely. <laughs> Thank you, guys. Who was it that wrote that song, What If God Was One of Us? Just a stranger on the bus trying to make his way home. I just get goosebumps when I hear that. I got goosebumps singing it. <laughs> Thank you. I'm complete. I loved it. Thanks for singing that. Thanks, Judy. This might be for the Apocalypse, Diana. And I've done, I have, I went and found my book, The Course in Love, and I've been trying to track what Lemoyne was saying. And what I'm finding, there are two, chapter six, and I'm, I'm a little confused by that in this book as I'm thumbing through. So, um, I'm going to question you on that. I'd like to know the page because it really resonated with me. I want to own that today as my mantra. So um, uh, I'm going to need your help with this, Lemoyne. Thank you. Okay, it's it's in the 
the third book, the uh, dialogues, it starts with, I can't remember how many. Um, uh, I, you <laughs> over a dozen. Right I, I don't have it. I, I, oh, I do have a combined volume. Yeah. I course. So it, oh, okay. <clears throat> it's going to be the last chapter six in that one. Um, there's a day six after it, but this is in the chapters that are titled di- the dialogues. Um, okay, I need what? What is the title of the chapter? Oh, is the body and the elevation of form, mm. and it's right at the end of that. It's just before chapter seven, which is time and the experience of transformation. So it's paragraph uh, 27 in chapter six of the dialogue, which is... The self of form, the self of form, right? I got it. Yeah. The body and the elevation of form, yeah. The body and the elevation, okay. Thank you, Lemoyne. It's at the end of that chapter. Are we still talking about the Course of Miracles or what's going on here? I'm confused. Well, that's about continual prayer. It's uh, somebody pulled out the line, the instruction to... Or Lori, Lori said that the, he says the, the Holy Spirit prays without ceasing, and uh, I know one of his instructions to in the in the New Testament is for us to do that, and uh, so yeah, I I wanted to turn to a, a line that seems to bridge a course in miracles course of love which is in um, in the manual about the uh, uh, where have I lost it here it is in the manual <clears throat> about the role of words and healing and uh, you know he talks about he's talking from a discussion of words as symbols words have quite specific references but he says the prayer of the heart does not really ask for concrete things it always requests some kind of experience the specific things asked for being the bringers of the desired experience in the judgment of the asker the words then are symbols for the things asked for but the things themselves but stand for the experiences which are hoped for yes yes you know I dropped in late on the call yesterday and I heard Lori speaking of um, Christ control and, and, and Christ direction and I think going over and over again that again this year it's really helped me with this um, discerning because he speaks of that at the level of form which is what um, 
the way God expressed, God's expressed in form is what doesn't matter. That Christ, Christ controls all that doesn't matter, all that's in time and space. That we can see God, we can see love in everything and anything. If, that's, if our minds are open and without judgment, without um, labeling it or rejecting it, that we can see God in everything. And, and, and the, it's not the form, but the content is love in everything, and that um, Christ's direction, um, what were you saying, Lori, I'm trying to remember, about that Christ, that when we put our mind in the service of the Spirit, in other words, in, in a calm and tranquil place, free of worldly thoughts and our judgments and our thinking about what I need and what i got to do and where i got to go, it's just being in the flow and quiet and still and having a tranquil mind. That's when I can hear the voice of the Holy Spirit because I cannot hear two voices at once. And that's what what I call being vigilant, vigilant for the awareness of being in the kingdom, that it's all a part of God's kingdom. There's nothing that's excluded. In my awareness of my total of its totality, it's not mine. It is mine if I hold it in my heart that way. I'm beholding it in my heart, all-encompassing in a way that doesn't reject anything. I'm not going to be in opposition to anything or anybody, cease fighting anything or anybody. You know, it was my mantra when I first got into AA. Cease fighting anything or anybody because that's what peace is. It's a lack of of opposition. I'm not opposed to anything. I'm not rejecting anything or running from it, avoiding it. I'm going to cross the street because I want to talk to that person. (laughs) I'll be quiet now. Lovely call today. Thank you all for being here. I'm complete. Well, thank you, Judy. Oh, Thanks, thank Judy. you, Judy. Thank you, Judy. Hi, Tana. I had to leave the call for a while, um, so I'm not up to speed on more of the conversations directly. But I, um, I, I love the lesson today. In fact, even the, uh, two or three lessons before it kind of all built up, and and um, you know when I think about the world I seem to be in. Um, I think about, you know, and and making the distinction between wholeness and oneness and um, a separated state. Uh, I think of one of those big thousand-piece puzzles, (laughs) you know, and on one side of the table I put together this thousand-piece puzzle, but even though it's put together, I can see all the individual pieces, you know, some have... Uh, some are larger, smaller, some have different different shapes. Um, and right next to it, and, and, the, and the puzzle is this beautiful mountain landscape. So right beside it is a photograph of that beautiful landscape. And the photograph is seamless. You know, it, it has no distinction between little individual parts. 
it's whole. And I love it when Jesus um, Jesus tells us that God is incomplete without every one of his souls. Just like the puzzle would be incomplete um, without every one of the pieces. You know, every piece of the puzzle um, represents an important part that contributes to the whole. And, um, and so when I look out on the world and... Um, I can see God in everything because God is in me. God is in every piece of the puzzle. (laughs) You know, God represents um, the unity and wholeness. And it's it's also for me why uh, joining in unity is so important because, um, you know, Jesus says that miracles are shared between brothers, but every time we join, we're moving towards that um, existence of unity and wholeness. We get a taste of it. We get a glimpse of it. We could never see the whole puzzle. We could never see the all of the all, but we can be conscious of our place in it, and it, it all is part of the one. Um, and, and I find that to be really comforting. And, and so when I, when I look out or when I look within or look without, I can see God in everything. Everything um, is an expression of the wholeness and oneness of God. And and that brings me a lot of um, peace. It brings me peace. You know, I, I do this meditation where I get down to that foundational place where I'm just still and I the only thing I'm aware of is uh, the awareness of existence. I exist. You know, and, and I'm outside. I'm sorry, and I'm going to have some visitors in a minute, so I'll <laughs> sum it up. But uh, with nothing else added, you know, in this meditation, I just kind of dwell and swim in this um, in this place of unity. You know, in this place of existence, and in that place, I can see where I connect with everyone. So. Thank you. Oh, thank you. Okay, I have to, I'm complete. I have to go. I'm sorry. Thank you. Thank you, Lana. So good to hear from you. Oh, thank you, Laurie. Yeah, thank thanks, you, Lana. Does anyone else have anything they'd like to share before we close the recording? Okay, well, there's there's one thing I I I guess I guess. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, just do it. Um, I'd like to return, having been an hour <laughs> since we touched on the lesson, just uh, repeat the lesson here, lesson 30. God is in everything I see because God is in my mind. And uh, one thing that occurs to me is that when I read that it 
it um, at least for me, it, I think it's an equivalent statement um, to say that God is everything I see because my mind is in God. And that, to me, that that's more clarifying. It explains, it, it removes this idea of God as a separate thing and me as a separate thing. And straightens out, you know, level confusion <clears throat> for me anyway. And I just want to read one sentence from the lesson. Today's idea should be applied as often as possible throughout the day. <laughs> so, whenever you have a moment or so, repeat it to yourself slowly, looking about you and trying to realize the idea applies to everything you do see now or could see now if it were within the range of your sight. And uh, a little bit for real vision is not only unlimited by space and distance, but it does not depend upon the body's eyes at all. The mind is its only source. I think with that, I'd ask you, Lori, can you uh, bring that, that uh, the poem you opened with yesterday as a closing for the recording? Oh, I'd just love to, Lemoyne. Uh, it's a beautiful poem from Rumi. Uh, it describes his experience with this, I think. Last night I lost my grip. <laughs> Last night I lost my grip. Love saw me and said, I showed up. Wipe your tears and be silent. I said, oh, love, I'm frightened, but it's not you. Love said to me, there is nothing that is not me. Be silent. I will whisper secrets in your ear. Just nod yes and be silent. A soul moon appeared in the path of my heart. How precious is this journey? I said, oh, love, what kind of moon is this? Love said to me, this is not for you to question. Be silent. I said, oh, love, what kind of face is this? Angel or human? Love said to me, this is beyond anything that you know. Be silent. I said, please reveal this to me. I'm dying in anticipation. Puff said to me, that is where I want you. Always on the edge. Be silent. You dwell in this hall of images and illusions. Leave this house now and be silent. I said, oh, love, tell me this. Does the Lord know you are treating me this way? <laughs> love said to me, yes, he does. Just be totally, totally silent. Amen. <laughs> Amen. Amen.
Thank you, Laurie. Beautiful. Uh-huh. Yeah, poems and experience, isn't it? I love it. Thanks. Thanks, yeah, Laurie. Really. I'm going to have to listen to some more of my seven hours of, of the Essential Rumi book that I, I bought or that I got. Uh, audio book, you know, on Audible. Cool. Cool. Mm. Well, thank you, Ida. Thank you, Lori, and thanks to everyone who's been here sharing or being silent. <laughs> and uh, I'll end the recording, but not the call. And so I'm